It's time to put principles ahead of politics. This is Sages of the Sun, brought to you by the New York Sun. I'm Caroline Veek, the co-founder and editor of The Sun, and I'm joined by Seth Lipsky, our legendary editor-in-chief. We're here to take you behind the headlines, unblinkered, principled, and straight. Let's get started. This week, we sit down with our brilliant staff reporter and assistant editor, A.R. Hoffman, to discuss Decision Week at the Supreme Court, to include a landmark religious liberty case and major rulings on environmental regulation and gun rights. America's legal landscape is at a revolutionary moment. We also discuss the January 6 hearings, what they mean for 2020 and 2024, and the possibility that President Trump might soon find himself facing criminal charges. Okay, so why don't we get into it? AR, thank you for joining us today. Especially excited to hear uh, your take on numerous important decisions coming out of the Supreme Court today, and then talk a little bit about uh, what you think have been the most important things coming out of the January 6th hearing. So I'll just kick it over to you to start uh, giving us your take on, on the Supreme Court decisions this week. Sure. Hi, everybody, and thanks for thanks for joining. Um, the first thing is uh, what a day to, to be on and what a day to be thinking about uh, thinking about the court. Of course, this week is sort of decision week at the court. There were 18 cases in total um, that have been decisions that have been released uh, over the past couple of couple of days. We expect that to continue uh, certainly tomorrow and then possibly into um, into early early next week. And I think the headline uh, for what we're seeing is you know, a court that has undergone sort of dramatic change of personnel and ideology um, from the end of end of end of the Trump administration is now starting to uh, to really bear fruit. Um, I think there was a sense of waiting a little bit of seeing, you know, would this new sort of six three alignment of um, of a, a solidly conservative court, would that make a difference? Would that matter? Right. Would um, would a sort of middle ground be struck on a whole host of issues? And the results, at least so far, um, and the results in the headline cases are, in fact, that this is a, a court that is now um, solidly finding its voice um, as constitutional um, interpreters and is um, has a new era has begun. Um, at the Supreme Court, um, and that's 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 become evident. Um, and that n- the new, the new, the most important numbers in the court right now are six to three, um, and we've seen that 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 alignment um, generate a series of um, epical decisions. Um, to just to go through uh, just a couple of them, in uh, a case called Carson, um, the court ref- held, and and we had. Um, we had uh, covered this um, um, extensively that a program in Maine um, that distinguished between state subsidies for um, secular private schools and religious private schools was unconstitutional. And this um, this is a continuation of a line of jurisprudence that has held that a publicly available benefit cannot discriminate between um, between religious um, and um, and secular uh, beneficiaries. Um, this went farther, though, in, in making no effort to say, well, that that benefit can 
can can be allotted to religious schools, but not for religious subjects. That that distinction collapsed um, in in this case, um, and um, that money can flow to religious schools um, for all of all of the things that they offer and, and their sort of centrally religious character um, and personality. So that's a major decision um, in the. Um, in, in the area of First Amendment religious liberty um, um, and the, the two religious liberty clauses, the Establishment Clause, which holds that Congress can make no law respecting um, um, respecting religion and, um, and the free exercise, the free exercise clause. So that that case is likely to open up a whole host of other questions of state benefits to to religious institutions. And so that's one area of the law, uh, of the law to watch, um, the sort of religious uh, liberty element. Yeah. What are some other implications? Yeah. What are, what, what do you think are going to be the implications of that law sort of maybe beyond education? Yeah. Well, you know, um, the, the, the circumstances that gave rise to this decision are pretty unique as, as fact, patterns often are. Uh, Maine is the most rural state in the country. Um, and this um, this case arose from uh, parents who wanted to send their kids to, to, um, to a religious school through a program that basically said if there's no public school within a close geographic uh, range that um, the state um, can help subsidize, must help subsidize uh, sending a student to, um, to a private school. And so the question was, well, you know, can the state distinguish between a secular and a religious uh, private school? Um, so this, the, 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 the sort of, uh, in the first instance, this was a decision that covered education. But, you know, the language of the court, namely that of a publicly available benefit, does not, is not limited to education. Right. So one can um, imagine a whole host of sort of grants, tax credits that would touch on other elements of life. A key uh, precedent for this case called Trinity Lutheran uh, concerned the renovation of a playground um, that was on a church property. Right. But one can imagine sort of those kinds, not purely educational bases. And um, the you know, the, this court has really laid down a law that that in such publicly available benefits, religion cannot be disfavored by, by the state. We've seen a sort of angry and um, hostile reaction uh, from Maine, from the elected leadership in Maine uh, to this decision using language such as big, that, you know, this is supporting kind of bigoted uh, institutions. You know, one, one thing that comes to mind is a previous religious liberty case called Masterpiece Cake Shop um, about the ability of a baker to refuse to bake uh, bake something, a, a wedding cake for, for a gay couple. That case was decided on, on the basis of animus displayed by the Colorado uh, Council towards towards religion. And so, you know, I think especially with a court that's very uh, sympathetic to, to religious institutions, um, this kind of loose language on, the on behalf of elected officials um, will not be looked on favorably. And states might get themselves in further hot water by evincing ev evidence of hostility um, towards towards religion um, and towards religious uh, religious institutions. That's one thing to watch. Um, just to continue maybe with um, some other cases, um, in a case that we also covered um, and I think predicted uh, fairly well, a case called Vega, um, the court held again six to three 
that the failure to issue a Miranda warning, um, of course, that's the famous line we all know from Law and Order and other TV shows, you have the right to remain silent, um, you have the right to an attorney, if you cannot afford one, one will be provided to you, does not, if, if, it, if a Miranda warning is not given, that does not give right to a federal cause of action to sue for monetary damages. Now that might seem esoteric, but what the court is basically holding and extending is that the Miranda warning is not itself part and parcel of the Constitution, that it was devised to protect the Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, but is itself not, not the Fifth Amendment. Now, states and, and polities have and, and, and localities have options to, to use things other than Miranda. We won't see Miranda disappear, but my hunch is that this is a first step in an eventual ruling and eventually um, a, con a more restrictive ruling of the Fifth Amendment um, that 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 would sort of cut down on Miranda. Um, I that uh, Justice Kagan in a dissent in that case has a line that sort of a, like a remedy denying a remedy is sort of the first stage to denying the right. Um, and so, you know, the inability to sue over Miranda is is a suggestion that the court is is queasy about the, the Warren courts, very liberal, very activist courts from 50 years ago, extending of um, the Fifth Amendment to include um, to include uh, Miranda. Now, of course, if, a, if a, an unwarned um, um, piece of evidence is used in court, that can still be excluded. Right. But the argument is beyond that there's no recourse for being denied Miranda rights. So why is the court queasy about where the Fifth Amendment is today? Where is it today? And, and what kind of constraints are you talking about? Yeah. So there was, um, you know, a kind of to sort of give a little bit of historical context um, in this sort of mid 50s, really beginning with Brown versus Board of Education through the late 60s, a period known as the Warren Court, where you see a tremendous expansion of, of constitutional, um, let's say, rights. And so, you know, that, that aren't articulated explicitly in the Constitution. So, you know, um, the Constitution bequeaths the, the right against self-incrimination. You, you don't have to testify against yourself in a criminal proceeding. You can take the fifth. Uh, and the court went and said, well, that's not enough. It's not only that you don't, that you have to be told that you, in this very particular way, um, and that that script is itself constitutional, right? Or, or, or part of the constitutional right. So we'll, we're seeing that pairing back. Um, this is a sort of, let's say, not a cousin of rulings like Griswold versus Connecticut, which gave, uh, which um, announced the right to contraception through a sort of implied right of privacy in the constitution. And of course, it's also familiarly related to Roe v. Wade. To the sort of discovery of a of the of a right to an abortion within the Constitution. So, in all of these ways, we're seeing the current court propose a much leaner um, understanding of, um, of of the Constitution and of the Constitution's um, Constitution's um, reach. Um, finally, very um, quickly, yeah, next. so is it that it's less that there's a problem to be solved, and rather that there that the court now sees just that the actual constitutional rights are just more limited than previously thought? 
Mm. Well, so, you know, the court is limited by the cases that come before it, right? So the court, it can't sort of affirmatively um, set out um, a sort of sense of, um, of a new constitutional vision. But um, unlike lower courts, so any federal any court is is federal court is bound by the case and controversy requirement, namely that uh, there has to the case has to come to it, right? Uh, someone has to be injured, someone has to make a complaint, someone has to come seeking recourse. Now, all federal courts besides the Supreme Court must hear in one way or another the cases that are brought before it. They can dismiss it out of hand, they can fully hear it, they could do something in between, but basically they have to hear it. Now, of course, the, the Supreme Court is decides which cases it hears, right? So four justices need to sign on to a case for it to be heard. So, and it only takes a tiny fraction of the cases that are presented. So in the cases it chooses, right, it can start to create a kind of portrait of the constitutional issues it wants to hear. And so what we've seen in this court in this term, I think, is a real desire to tackle big constitutional questions. Um, and, and, you know, the best example for that is the, the New York gun case, um, Gruen, which, you know, the court hasn't really heard a gun case since 2008. And, the argue, and there, it's not that these cases weren't being filed, they were, but the court said, we're not gonna touch this for now. Heller in 2008 affirmed the right to carry to have a gun inside your own home for self-defense. And the appetite of the court changed and, and, and the court felt ready or the composition of the court changed and the court felt ready to, um, to weigh in um, on these issues. So, you know, on issues, you know, if you think about Fifth Amendment with, with Vega, you think about First Amendment with Carson, with the main case, you think about Second Amendment with, with the gun case, and then you think about, um, you think about Roe, these are major constitutional um, heartland, uh, heartland questions. So what was the gun ruling? So the gun, the gun ruling, um, and this was issued by Clarence Thomas, some are already calling this the defining opinion of his career. Justice Thomas has, has long been a sort of um, strong advocate for, for Second Amendment uh, rights. He often has said um, the Second Amendment is not a second class right. Right. Um, and that's the sort of view that governed the opinion in this case. Um, New York had a, um, a law where to carry a gun in public outside of the home, you had to show proper cause, um, namely that you were in some kind of danger or that, you know, you, you, you had a reason to carry it beyond mere self-defense. Right. Self-defense is not a proper cause because that can always be claimed, right? It had to be more particular than that. And even when proper cause was asserted, the state had, a, had, a, had the ability to reject the, to reject the claim. It, it, it still had discretion. And the six, uh, the six uh, justice majority um, led by uh, Justice Thomas said that that unfairly burdened the Second Amendment right. Thank you for listening to this sample of Sages of the Sun. To listen to the whole episode and access our entire catalog, go to NewYorkSun.com. That's NYSun.com.